All right, I let's keep it simple. I could pretend the money never appeared. That's not defaming anyone. Yes, and uh, passing grade. Passing grade. Yes. Or you'll sue me for taking money. So he did leave the money. This is defamation. It doesn't make sense. Either he left the money, or he didn't. Please, accept the mystery. When the truth is found to be lies, and all the joy within you dies, don't you want some Coen Brother movies to spoil? This is spoilers. <laughs> Oy vey! You sound like all the joy within you has died. <laughs> Me? No way. It wasn't a very hype intro. Oh, man. Uh, so pleased to be with you here tonight. I won last week's Animal Weight Trivia. So I got to choose any movie in the world I wanted to spoil and review with my friends. And I chose A Serious Man, a Coen Brothers movie from 2009. Action. After its triumphant premiere at this year's Toronto Film Festival, critics are raving about the new film from Joel and Ethan Coen, A Serious Man. There's a lot of other people on the pod, too, besides me, Josh, from Goshen. And we're going to introduce ourselves from East to weast so i think brett that's you and my question for you brett is this movie is about a jewish community why did in college you own a book called jews in hollywood yeah uh, this is brett i am an eastern i am an eastern man um yeah i got pretty uh it was a culture shock when i went to bloomington for the first time i got just kind of fascinated by the jewish culture and stuff and i just Bought the book. I don't know. I bought the book when I was in Arizona. And yeah, I used to know. I used to know them all. So do you have any tidbits about the Coen brothers that might come into play here on this pod? No, just that one's ugly and the other one's the ugly one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Can I ask about the tone of this book? Did it contain a bunch of like unkind caricatures <laughs> of some of the people? No, no uh, it was just like a, a kind of like a pop culture book. I mean, it had like Lenny Kravitz and it'd be like a lot of times it had like people's real names. Like I think Walter Matthau had an insanely weird last name and Gene Simmons' last name's like Horowitz or something. Hmm. It's long. It's like 28 letters long. Uh, but it, no, it was just like pop culture, like fun stuff. So is this like a coffee table book that was just called Jews in Hollywood? No, it was called Jews Who Rock. Ah. Oh my god, that's way different than what Josh said. Not, Josh. I thought he was right at It had first, a really strange I... tone when Josh said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's judgmental, pretty it's judgmental, pretty judgmental mean tone. harsh tone with that original title. No, Josh, I don't know. I just got kind of fascinated by it. It was just a big culture shock and uh, it was interesting to me. Introduction one of six complete. All right. (laughs) Moving on over east, I believe it's Mikey. Is this your first time seeing this movie? And where, like, do you like the Coen brothers? Uh, Yeah, this is my first time watching this. I'd say. Where are you recording from, too? uh, Recording from Goshen, Indiana. Big Jewish community in northern Indiana. Goshen. No. um, (laughs) Not true at all. Uh, Yeah, I like the Coen brothers. We've uh, spoiled a couple. I think you hosted the last one, or was it Pappy? Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? Uh, and I liked that a lot. I had never seen that before either until we spoiled it. But I like this movie a lot too. I didn't know what to expect. It was not on my radar at all, and not the genre I was expecting either. So it's very interesting. Stevie, you're up next, and my question for you is: You watch a lot of movies. What would your tagline for this movie be? 
This is Stevie from Elkhart. Uh, I'd say... Jews in Hollywood? A, ser- <laughs> a serious man. Jews who rock. Um, let's see. Tagline for this movie. Mannered. I'll say a serious man. A man can only suppress his rage for so long. Serenity now. Serenity now. <laughs> if this movie isn't about suppressing rage, I don't know what it's about. Pappy, you we move across the country a little bit further, a couple states over to get to you, but... Indeed. A lot of people say this is about Job. Do you know the Bible story of Job? You know, I uh, saw a bunch of like letterboxed reviews referencing that, so I watched a Bible verse video on YouTube last night. It's like some... I don't even know. It's a huge YouTube channel. It had like 10 million subscribers. Dang. And it was this like really well done like production story of the version of Job. Uh, you're more of a holy man than me, but my understanding is that Job uh, or God is test or like Satan or something comes to God and says, Job only likes you because when he worships you, he gets good stuff. So God's like, fine. And God takes everything from Job and like his lands, his family, his wife, uh, he's suffering and he still praises God, I think is like the end of the story. And then he gets everything back, but double, am I, am I closer? Oh yeah. And then God shows up as a tornado at the end, which is a really cool, uh, cliffhanger ending. I just don't know why you came to me for the Bible question. Nurse Malcolm's going to be so disappointed when she hears that (laughs) rambling, incoherent Catholic answer, but I'm recording from Louisville. Colorado. You always were a disappointment. I'm just picturing a tornado with like two googly eyes uh, flying around. Uh, that does not God happen in the up. Bible. Well, I guess <laughs> kind of. Maybe it does. Does it? Moving over a couple more states, Corey. Um, the rest of us are from the Midwest, so we get that aspect. I think really well. We can relate to that. The tornado part. Sure, the Twin Twisters did go through Elkhart back in the day. Thanks for asking. But, like, all of us were actually alive. Actually, right then. around the time this movie took place, too, in the late 60s. But my question for you is do you, can you fill us in a little bit tonight during the pod about any of the actual Jewish culture stuff? Because I know your wife is Jewish. Yeah, so this is Corey, also known as Kylo Ren memes, recording out of Simi Valley, California. Got all that covered. I, I hope I can, Josh. I am somewhat familiar with Jewish culture, as, like you said, I'm married to a Jewish woman, so I'm, you know, I think a little bit more exposed to that kind of stuff than you guys are. Nope, not me. Okay, not Brett, so okay. it can be like Lord <laughs> of the Rings. If I don't know it, hopefully Brett does. <laughs> <laughs> so, re- owning the book Jews Who Rock is the equivalent of having a wife who's Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> or my brother's uh, been with a Jewish woman for 16 years, or that, or maybe that. A serious man, Brett. Dang, bro. Jeez Louise, Josh. <laughs> I blame Josh. Josh is the one who tried to come at Brett with the anti-Semitic yeah. stuff and said Jews in Hollywood. Josh has known me for two decades. He was at my what? brother's wedding, and he doesn't remember this, apparently. Mazel tov, Brett. Was it a half and half, Brett? Yes, mixed stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's what my cousin and her Jewish husband did, and it was amazing. It was like half Jewish, no, half Catholic. It must have gotten it from a book, Juicy Rock. Mir sir, my sir. <laughs> no, I'm done. That's my intro. Play me out. That's all of the hosts. 
a very rambling introduction. Um, I don't know. I hope we're all, we're all healthier for going through all that. But let's, Sorry, Brian. Let's get into Serious Man. My first kind of attention getter and like most important question for me coming out of this for you guys. There's like no reasonable argument that Cy Abelman isn't fucking Larry's wife, right? Like, uh, he 100% is. Yes, he is. <laughs> Stevie, you've seen the show Girls, right? Yeah. Remember when he tries to steal Hannah's mom from her, his, her husband? Like, it's like the guy is like typecast as like a wife stealer in, in every movie now. Josh, here's my only argument for that against that is he's very adamant to get the what is it the job or the the, the get. get the get mm-hmm. the what the get which is important <laughs> I guess in Jewish I mean it's kind of like when it's just in the Catholic Christian faith too like you know when you get married. Just because you get divorced doesn't mean you're not still, air quotes, married in God's eyes. So even if you marry somebody else, that would be considered adultery. But with the get, that makes it so, like, the guy is literally, <laughs> as terrible as it sounds, giving her back to men. Like, that's almost exactly what it means. But that's that was maybe a weak argument for, yeah. he's a pretty slimy guy. No, he was definitely. Do you think he's such a religious man that like, he wouldn't do that? Is that the point you're making? I'm just saying it. Maybe it's it must have been more of a public thing. Like he cared more about that for his public perception. But that was like. So you're probably right. I'm just saying that's my only little tidbit of argument. But I don't. I think he's banging her. Let's get back to the. Let's get back to the possible. I guess cuckolding later. My first. <laughs> my first question to set up the plot, though. Let's skip the Yiddish intro for now. But the first thing that happens in the Book of Job, and the first thing you see with. Larry, I think, even though it's super brief, is like, what is his happiness? What is a good day in the life for Larry before all the tragic events of this movie happen? Uh, Larry is a physics professor, and he's like in the middle of teaching a class and seems like a pretty standard day. He's like just wrapped up class and he's going back to his office to like do paperwork or whatever and he's like followed by or he's got a a student waiting for him um who is south korean and speaks a little bit of broken english or maybe there's just like lost in translation type thing going there and very troubling yeah and (laughs) culture clash culture Culture clash clash. (laughs) what does larry just like in life like Mm. what do you get from him here at the beginning before it goes south. It's an interesting question. Larry himself is just the ultimate passive personality. He's, he's constantly saying, I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like when his wife goes to leave him for another man, he says, I didn't do anything. And he's constantly yelling, I didn't do anything. He, he seems to, I don't know, maybe follow a path of least resistance, you know, potentially. I would say, I'd say a good day for him would be a not very intense day of just talking about Schrodinger's cat and listening to his daughter want to go to the hole and his son come home stoned as fuck. Like, that's just, <laughs> he's just trying to make it through life, I think, really. He's just kind of existing. I do think that is his sense of the world, but maybe through uh, his brother's eyes later. Don't you get this little glimpse of like maybe he is a guy that kind of has it all? He he does own a home and property. He he has a wife and kids. Like no, compared to his I mean brother. I don't I don't even think he's a good dad or a good husband though. Like he he doesn't show he never shows any interest in his children. You know particularly other than to to yell at him a couple times. He's never 
He's a good physics teacher, though. He gets down in that stance with his ass out. It's hilarious. And a hilarious shot by Deacons, like, underneath his ass, like, making it look like SpongeBob SquarePants or something. But, like, it's so funny. Does he not have an interest in his kids' lives, or has he been... We don't see it. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, he asks them a lot of questions, and they literally just ignore him or say nothing. I'm saying he might have been beaten down a long time ago. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you mentioned the scene at the pool. Like, it's it's like at that moment, or, or you talk, you're talking about his brother. Like, at the scene at the pool, he says something to the effect of, like, sometimes you just have to take take things for yourself. You know, God's not going to help you. But that's literally, like, he never follows that advice right. himself. You know what I mean? So I, I don't, maybe, I don't know if his kids are a byproduct of the way he raised them. Like, I'm sure if he was, like, you know, butch goy next door, like, throwing baseballs aggressively and killing deer, maybe his kid would have more discipline or something but I, I don't know he's just not that kind of guy you know he threw that baseball extra hard after he saw him too it's really uncomfortable <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i love how that guy is just giving stank eye throughout the whole movie just walking in the background the only time he comes to the defense of the main character is when it's against a korean because i'm guessing right. <laughs> yeah. i'm guessing i'm guessing he fought in the korean war <laughs> You got a problem with this man? <laughs> I like to think that's like the um, a caricature of like a non-Jew, you know? A yeah, goy? Like a goy yeah. or Gentile or whatever. Anyway. We, we talked about kind of what Larry's life is like before the tragic events happen. But his son, Danny, is probably, that's his name, right? Is the second main character in his... It's life. just Dan now. Nice. It's just Dan now, okay? Dan. After the bar mitzvah, it's just Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but Stevie, fill us in on Danny. Like, what's going on in his life? Who does he surround himself with? Danny is like the polar opposite of his father, I think. I mean, he's in Hebrew school, doesn't take it seriously at all. He'd rather be rocking out than listen to his teacher talk nonstop. Like, kids are falling asleep in that class. And also, I mean... I think it's one of the funniest jokes of the entire movie, but him running home from like his school bully because it has doesn't have the money to pay him and outrunning him each time is so funny to me. <laughs> like it, it's almost startling the way they shoot it because it's like, I mean, he's walking towards his house and just to see that kid like bust open that door to run after him, I thought was really funny. But Danny is, I think he's kind of taking a similar path of, Lawrence in a different way, which is the fact that, I mean, he's kind of just existing too. I think he's just wants to get by with the, uh, with the uh, path of least resistance too. He's just a normal teenager kid that just wants to get high and watch F -troop. doesn't really care about his studies. And watch F Troop. And <laughs> Goof Troop. Constantly bother his father with Goof Troop because it's not coming in on the wires right. <laughs> when his dad's at the lawyer's office, like having this existential just fucking meltdown, and his son calls, he's like, "Son, are you okay? Is everything all right? I can't get F Troop right now." And the look on his dad's face is just the funniest thing in the whole world. Did you guys consider at all that like the weed in this movie is often played for laughs, and you know, there's a, a lot of U.S. states. It's recreational. It's it's the most liberal our country's ever been on this issue. But but in this <laughs> movie, this kid is like 12 years old, and it's a little bit concerning, I feel like. In the 60s? That a 12-year-old kid is smoking weed, like, at church? That's, <laughs> I mean, 
Hit this fucker. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I remember the kids that smoked weed when I was in junior high, and those kids are real trouble. These aren't like Seth Rogen sort of guys. Yeah. I remember in sixth grade, a lot of my friends got expelled for smoking weed. Like four of them. Yeah, I thought so, too. I mean, it's, it's kind of young, but, you know. This is pre-Ronald Reagan, Josh. It was a different time. But I don't know. That's Yeah, you would get murdered in the street if you had weed. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, but, but Josh, people would... Uh, go ahead. I don't know. Josh, that's what I'm getting at, though. It's like he... He, it's not the ideal family situation, but he never does anything to proactively address it. Even when his son, his son is running home, stoned as fuck, like from a bully. You know what I mean? He just kind of just chalks up to why is why is God doing this to me? Basically, yeah. And I think maybe Brett's in on something. Like we're kind of jumping in the middle of a family drama that's been going on for probably a decade or whatever. And I think that maybe I'm trying to force it into the shape that the book of job is because that's how job starts off he's like rich and well off did you get that reading or did you like see other people say that i'm just because you're more religious than i am i'm just curious if like you watch this like because i when i watch the like oh brother where art thou i have no idea it's about the odyssey and i like google i'm like oh okay that makes sense is that plus it's in the title card that's true even still when i yeah when i watched this movie when it was a year old i knew that going in and so this time i did too that it's a modern day retelling of Job, kind of. Mm. Very loose. I I mean, there's not very many one-for-ones, but I do think there's a sense, like, he's a college professor about to get tenure, and maybe his relationshipal things aren't all together, but that's because there's been, like, a slow slide, a slow fade, if you will, like, in his life, you know? Mm. This isn't, like, overnight, like, the book of Job maybe dramatizes, like, he gets struck down with like boils and scabs and all of his livestock and servants and kids get all killed at like the same time back to back to back. So maybe this is just a more realistic of like a slow burn. If only there was a rabbi who could make that connection for him. (laughs) (laughs) Provide some context to what's going on in his life. Hard to come by those rabbi, you know, (laughs) they're like never in their office. Well, we talked about the son, and I do think he's probably the second main character, but to a lesser extent, the daughter is also a sign of a dysfunctional family here. Corey, maybe just like, what what happens to her in this? What is she like? Uh, She likes to use the bathroom, but she never can, because Uncle Arthur's fucking always in there. (laughs) Uh, She likes to bitch at her brother, because he owes her money. Uh, I don't know. She she bickers a lot in this movie. <laughs> she's just one of his annoying kids. Not very satisfied. Doesn't seem like she's just going to the hole every night. Whatever that means. <laughs> what goes on there, Stevie? <laughs> Stevie. Stevie. What is the hole? I don't know what goes on at the hole. But you're Stevie. You got to know this. This stuff. is a Stevie question. <sighs> I'm guessing a lot of makeout point type stuff. <laughs> The hole is like the original version of Prince's First Avenue. This is a this is a uh, prequel. Purple Rain. Exactly. All the hot young Jewish kids just dancing all night. <laughs> it's like a sock hop, but outside in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into some of the more memorable stuff, and that is, I believe, Cy Abelman entering the scene. I think he has a classic Coen Brothers 
buildup of an entrance with like you see a note with his name on it and then you hear a voicemail from a or a voice <laughs> message from him on an answering machine and then you finally see him in person like with a wine bottle talking about how long it needs to breathe and everything does anyone have anything like positive to say about Sia Abelman or like he's, he's nice positive oh man no. you made that hard he's a horrible dresser <laughs> <laughs> that man's got no style I do like the actor he what is his name Fred Melamed or something he's is what on I'm curb. looking it's at. Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, he's mm. really funny. Uh, but he's a little too touchy feely for someone who's <laughs> like banging your wife. Yeah, and oh, yeah. it's uh, just <laughs> coming off like I don't know. He just the way he like introduces himself to Larry and like they walk in and he offers him that wine. It's like, dude, get out of my house. <laughs> Why are you in my house? You're <laughs> sleeping with my wife or like cheating on my wife or something. It's just awkward. I got it. He's like a Scientologist. He's like holding his hands. <laughs> yeah, he's like touching his face and stuff. Oh. You could say you could say that Corey, we are not allowed to. Wait, wh- where's Corey going with that? What are you talking about? Sometimes when you're trying to talk to a Scientologist and I've dealt with them a lot in my life, like you're just trying to have like a regular conversation and convey regular things and like the way they <laughs> like the way they're trying to like quote unquote handle you in the conversation like it's nobody's fault here. It's like, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. You're not listening to what I'm fucking saying. It's a lot of like weird, yeah. slimy evasiveness that they're like, trained to do. Let's not play he said, she said. That kind of thing. Exactly. The dead giveaway for me with Cy and how I know he was fucking uh, Larry's wife is the fact that he's like, this isn't just any normal wine. This is the best wine. This is the I'm fucking your wife wine, and I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) They call this movie a comedy, but some of it's pretty tough to watch. That stuff in the diner, um, even just the visual of Cy and Judy sitting on the same side of the booth across from Larry, like, doesn't that just kind of like get your spine tingling or something in a bad way not as much as when Cy reaches across the table and holds larry's hand like and then the camera doesn't <laughs> mm-hmm. super up close on like the man who's fucking his wife's holding him his hand like it's just so uncomfortable but everything with that diner like i i, I talked about this earlier this movie everything below the line is amazing like it looks so good like the colors in that diner josh i don't know if you remember that but it's like these blues and greens like Mm -hmm. it's so 60s and and fantastic looking yeah do you want to talk about just the overall look of the movie too you already mentioned the cinematographer deacons earlier but i feel like god roger deeks that's some pretty good stuff man i mean yeah it's Movies set in the 60s and like I just kind of any media set in the 60s like Mad Men like there's just so many cool patterns and like color palettes and like styles like I, the I, furniture yeah the furniture, furniture looks great crazy. the costumes look great it, well, this was nominated for two Oscars I don't know which one best picture and best writing it, it could have also I, I honestly gotten like a best uh, costume award too like it, the way everybody looks is so great. Yeah, the interior design of places like the mm-hmm. the mid century modern aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just that, like inside inside like the synagogue too. Like the difference between the uh, Big Bang Theory rabbi's office versus like the big <laughs> rabbi's office, like Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Simon Helberg. The parking lot here. Not much to see, huh? but if you imagine yourself a visitor. 
Somebody who isn't familiar with these autos and such. Somebody still with the capacity for wonder. Someone with a fresh perspective. That's what it is, Larry. She is seeing Cy Abelman. Oh. They're planning. That's why they want the get. Oh, um, sorry. It was his idea. Well, they do need a get to remarry in the faith. But <laughs> this is life. You have to see these things as expressions of God's will. You don't have to like it, of course. The boss isn't always right, but he's always the boss. <laughs> That's right. Things aren't so bad. Look at the parking lot, Larry. Just look at that parking lot. <laughs> what about that parking lot? <laughs> Just look at that parking lot. Look at that looks parking like, lot. Looks like best picture and best original screenplay, at least. Mm -hmm. Wow, best picture. Yeah, Which is crazy, crazy too, not not getting anything else, like not getting director, not getting uh a lot of other just just getting best picture and screenplay is pretty rare. Especially when there was only probably five nominees back then, right, Pat? I think so. Not two thousand nine, yeah. Can two directors get best director? Yeah. If they're two brothers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. If they're not, they then they have to fight to the death when one person takes on the trophy. So the Coen brothers have called serious a serious man their most biographical only because the setting in which it takes place is like modeled after their childhood just outside of Minneapolis, I think. Mm -hmm. Pappy. Which I grew up I grew up uh so I lived in an apartment that was in Minneapolis proper, but like literally the like the the house the apartment building next to mine was in St. Louis Park where they grew up and I uh it, it was a huge Jewish community there like I used to wake up like hungover as shit on Saturday mornings I kept trying to go to this Jewish diner but I kept forgetting they were closed on Shabbos like literally <laughs> ten times I went on a Saturday morning hungover and I was like, fuck <laughs> I never learned my lesson. One of the really interesting things they did as far as the look and making it authentic 60s is the neighborhood that they're in. Mm -hmm. I think they actually shot like an actual suburb neighborhood in Minneapolis, but then they removed a lot of the big trees digitally because like when they first cleared the fields to make these new suburbs, there weren't like huge trees. And that's something you would like never notice watching the movie, but it adds to that sense of... Uh, I don't know. Americana. It's a new development. It's kind of just recently been built and mm -hmm. families are moving in. I don't yeah. Know, the birth of suburbs or something. Suburbicon. Yeah. Oh, that's a terrible movie. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you hated that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Forgot about that one. <laughs> Let's talk about the neighborhood. And I'm going to keep bringing back the Book of Job every once in a while here and i have this theory that in the book of job there's like these two different tribes one of them kills a bunch of his servants and the other one like steals a bunch of his oxen and so like i think the other cultures instead of like the cleadans or whatever in the bible i think it's like white military neighbor that's like one other culture and south korean exchange family is the <laughs> other culture um we talked a little bit about the white neighbors playing baseball. Brett, what other stereotypical adversarial oh. things oh, yeah. is this guy doing? Like, why is he so scary? 
Well, I mean, he's definitely... Well, first of all, he comes back with his kid on a school day, and you don't notice that right, at, right away, I don't think at least, but you got the big old deer. You notice that, but then you, the blood is just <laughs> dripping down the side of the car. This um, is like straight up Tyrion Lannister, like skinning a buck in yeah. Game of Thrones. But the best part, blood everywhere, dirt everywhere, huge buck on the truck, and Larry walks up, hey, you been hunting? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's like a stereotypical fighting over the property line. I feel like maybe that's not like a, you know, the white American that you're talking about, but like maybe neighborhoods like that, people fight over that when there's no fence. I don't know. I mean, that stuff happens in real life all the time. It's crazy. But he's just a dick. I mean, he's obviously stereotype. Um, probably, like I said earlier, war veteran. Nothing's more timeless and like historical than like a land dispute. Right. Like that's pretty it's biblical. It's real, guys. Right? <laughs> I'm going through it myself right now. It's oh, real. No. Oh. Hey, you mentioned that, right? I think. Hopefully, your neighbor's lawyer doesn't listen to this podcast. I hope not. Are they inching over? Or are you inching over, dude? All I'm saying is this: we don't have fences in this neighborhood for some god awful reason. But long story short, when someone mows on your property line. It makes you very upset. So I completely understand where Larry's coming from. When he's like looking at when he's looking at that line, just looking at it and looking at it, I like got chills down my spine because I was like, I do that like once a week all summer. And it drives me insane. We have this fence that separates the back of our house, my parents' house, to another house that's really close. My mom used to mow like one of the lines back there is ours and another one's not. She'd mow both of them. And the neighbor, uh, when she'd do that, he would turn the sprinklers on. <laughs> he, I think he would do that maybe once or twice. And my dad, who's unbelievably passive aggressive, would go, when when the uh, the guy would be out there working, my dad would go out to the fence and stare at him, just stare at him. Oh my god! Because <laughs> I mean, he was freaking tick. But like, my mom stopped doing it, and they're all kind of friends-ish. But I, I'm, I'm guaranteeing. <laughs> I got this from my dad. We're grudge holders, so I guarantee you, my dad will have a grudge against that guy until the day he dies. Josh, can I ask you a question about the neighbor? Yeah. So at one point, uh, Michael Stol- Stolberg, Stolberg, Larry goes over to his other neighbor's house, uh, attractive mm. woman who. Mm. Who like when he's like ogling her when he's standing on the roof, his body language is like the most uncomfortable, creepy like pose that, that he's in uh, when he's on the roof. But he goes over there, very similar to his physics stance. Really. Yeah, <laughs> his hand is like hovering over his crotch. It's very strange, and his knees are bent for some reason. But like he goes over to his neighbor's house, he's like, you know, I don't really like my neighbor on the other side. Although I've never really talked to, and then like gets interrupted. Like, is there really evidence that? his goy neighbor is an asshole in this movie does the does a neighbor actually do anything that we know is wrong i mean yeah he looks at him while he plays catch he he mowed he mowed on his property we don't know that it's his property there's a property dispute the neighbor says it's a different place 
Like, oh man, he throws that baseball awful aggressively when he sees him. All I'm saying is, I don't know if there's any actual film. I get yeah. what you're saying. Does he have to be so aggressive when he looks at him, though? It's He's, an aggressive oh, look. <laughs> From the Yiddish like opening to the ending of this movie, there's no definitive answers. I don't know that the film definitively says. And and Michael Stuhlberg says, you know, I don't even know if he's an asshole at one point in the movie, which which makes me question it. I thought, oh, it's nothing. It's just you know, good to know your neighbors and to help, help others. Although I don't care much for my neighbors on the other side, I must say. Goys, aren't they? Hmm, very much so. Although maybe it's not fair to judge. I have to admit. Uh, sit down. Oh, um, okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. I think you're right in that a general theme of this movie seems to be there are no true answers, but I think it's extra funny in this scenario. Like we would have found out who the asshole is, except Larry's like secondhand JV lawyer <laughs> drops dead office space style, like <laughs> right before he's about to reveal it. It's a pretty great part. That's why your partner. Just everyone's smoking so much tobacco in this movie. I mm, love it. Devastating. What do you mean? Uh, I'm just I'm going on two and a half months, so it's just, it's hard to see it on TV. Get it, Brett. Yeah, get on you, Brett. Let's go. Nice. Thank you, Pappy. You mentioned the other neighbor. She kind of is uh, like represents the temptation, I guess, to some extent in Larry's life. Like, what's her deal? Is she just existing over there and doesn't know like what to do or something? Like, what's her deal? She's DTF. She's oh, yeah. hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's uh, she's a free swinging sixties lady. Yeah. To Pappy's argument, she might be the actual bad neighbor. I mean, we actually see her do illegal stuff. I'm not saying it's bad, but you know, and she's definitely better looking than the other guy. I I don't know if she like yeah if she's sir she's kind of generic hot neighbor chick in a lot of sense. She doesn't have a lot to her. It is interesting though, like the way that Michael Stahlberg interacts with her. Like he doesn't even have the um, assertiveness to knock on her door, right? He walks up to her door, walks away, then she opens the door. And then she says something to the effect later of like, are you enjoying the freedoms of your separation? And he de- he can't even answer that question directly. Like After like 20 seconds, he's like, what do you mean? You know what I mean? Like, It's just like, it's more of his inaction, like just personified. Like, dude, this chick wants to bang you, dude. Come on. It's a theme throughout the movie. He can't take, he can't defend himself. And even when the people he doesn't know, even the people he doesn't know, like she says, you're in the doghouse. Right? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm the dog. Like he didn't do anything wrong, but like he'd right. rather, he'd rather just agree with that statement and move on than like defend himself. I, I don't, it's just, that's just the way he is. It's. I remember Sly's wife's name, but or Sly's wife's name, but it's the exact same thing. Like when he's with his attorney, like when he's arguing with his wife, he's like, his whatever his wife's name. Judith. She's barely cold. Judith is barely cold. And then like when he goes to like talk to the lawyer, yeah. the lawyer like repeats the dialogue back to him, which is like another great part of the screenplay, like the repeating dialogue as I like, kind of said over and over again. And the lawyer says, She's barely cold. And then Michael Stahlberg starts arguing his <laughs> wife's points. Like it's been three years, literally repeating the exact words that his wife said. So good. He's a a coward. I mean, that's my opinion. Do you guys like how this movie is like written? It's a little bit of an oddity because for the Coen brothers, it comes right in between True Grit and like No Country for Old Men right around this time. This doesn't have like any of the outward 
goofy stuff like pappy did you find this to be like absurd to level of disbelief or do you feel like it's more rooted in real life to me when the cohen brothers are at their best like movies like the big lebowski oh brother art thou raising arizona there's always kind of this like weird spiritual element to the story where the Coens are more interested in talking about a topic or a theme. And I think you see like in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, like where the theme is like death, than they are like even telling a narrative story. Like to me, this is like, we just won our best picture Oscar. We're going to make whatever fucking movie we want type thing. I, I don't know if it came like directly in line after that, like maybe Burn After Reading may have been in between, but it feels like we, we just got the highest critical honor any director can get. Now we're going to tell a story about like the meaning of life basically that's super abstract and and strange so do you like that i love it i i love it so much like the movie or, or that sense of auteurism or both i guess i don't really care about the sense of auteurism per se <laughs> I, I don't i don't care if one person made this or two brothers made this or like the <laughs> the cohen quintuplets made this whatever that would be like i don't i don't give a shit like i i think it's more yeah like like it doesn't it it doesn't like it's not following a traditional story structure, Stevie. Like, I don't know. Like, does this, Stevie, does this movie have a dramatic argument, would you say? You've talked about that before. You're into screenwriting. As far as dramatic argument goes, for that to take effect, your main character really has to change uh, throughout the movie, has to have a really dramatic arc. And one thing I find fascinating about this movie is no one really changes. Nope. And for that, I kind of love this movie for it. The wife does a little bit at the end. Doesn't Larry change in the end? He does change the grade. He does change the grade. He eases up a little bit. Like you could see it in his face. Like the uh, bar mitzvah of his son kind of seemed to swell him with pride for some. I mean, I don't know. He changed from that moment on. I know what Brett's talking about too. Brett just said that Judy changes. And at the end, after the bar mitzvah, she like holds Larry's hand and she's like, I'm sorry things have been so hard between us. But then, Brett, she delivers the dagger. Yeah. Cy, re Cy really respected you. Like, the biggest compliment she can give yeah. is how much Cy liked him. That I don't think she changed. <laughs> That's brutal. The meanest thing she did all movie was after Cy's death, which was hilarious uh, for numerous reasons, is when she like acts like the widower at his funeral. Oh, I was yeah. laughing out loud when I saw that. <laughs> just because I like I couldn't understand how Larry could just sit there and take that. At a funeral he paid for. At a funeral yeah. he paid for. <laughs> That's that was like the last straw for me for her. I that I was super ticked. And then like she gives him crap for she's like, you shouldn't be able to argue. Oh my god. I oh I hated her so much this movie until the end. But that to me is like the whole point of the movie, right? Like we haven't even talked about the rabbis at all, but like he's looking for this like spiritual guidance. Like, what does God want me to do? Like, what should I be doing? And literally all he has to do is be like, no, I'm not going to move out of my house. No, I'm not going to pay for your like mm -hmm. mistresses or whatever the male equivalent is of that is like funeral. Like all he has to do is like be a little assertive. Like <laughs> all he has to do is follow the advice that he gives his brother. And he never does that. During that diner scene too, when they're like, hey, we think you should move to the Jolly Roger. <laughs> the Jolly Roger. He goes, don't you think it makes sense for you to move in with Cy? And they're both just like, that's ridiculous. Be but reasonable. Why? Why is that ridiculous? I don't understand. <laughs> this poor fucking bastard getting pushed around all the time. Really? 
to keep things on an even keel leading up to Danny's bar mitzvah. Child's bar mitzvah. Sai and I think it's best if you move out of the house. Move out? Well, it makes eminent sense. Things can't continue as Move they... out? Where would I go? Oh, for instance, the Jolly Roger is quite livable. It's not expensive. The rooms are... Eminently habitable. This would allow you to visit the kids. There's convenience in its favor. You've got a pool. Wouldn't it make more sense for you to move in with Sai? Larry. Larry, you you are jesting. I think really, the Jolly Roger is the appropriate course of action. Has to live in the Jolly Roger. <laughs> I've actually. Anecdotally, I've stayed in a motel a few times called the Jolly Roger because there's one. Well, there used to be one by Disneyland, uh, so that brought back some memories. Are the rooms eminently livable, would you say? (laughs) (laughs) Corey, there's three rabbis that Larry goes to for assistance here. He needs spiritual guidance. He needs emotional, psychological guidance. Tell us about the first one he sees. Uh, well, he sees like the stand-in rabbi, uh, uh, the junior grade rabbi, if you will. JV rabbi. Definite uh, JV he's, rabbi. He's a young guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe late 20s. Not Doesn't look like a rabbi. Doesn't seem to behave like a rabbi. <laughs> Two movie club. What was he in? Simon Helberg, uh, Van Wilder. Oh, yeah. Classic spoilers episode. Well, it'd be three things. He was also in Walk Hard. Oh, was he one of the Beatles? No, he's one of the record producers. But this guy, this rabbi, he he's young, he's inexperienced, and he's really got nothing to offer Larry. Like, <laughs> well, you, I mean, you guys mentioned it earlier. His whole thing is, things aren't so bad. Look at the parking lot, Larry. <laughs> like, he has nothing. Like, he's so... <laughs> <laughs> he basically, what he says amounts to like, maybe if you just like try to enjoy life, everything will be okay. And uh, that's nothing. That's useless. It's just word soup. That's like some AA shit you hear sometimes. It's like, <laughs> get out. <laughs> I kind of disagree. I don't know. I feel like if Larry could break out of his myopic viewpoint and have a larger perspective, he could tackle a lot of these problems in his life. It's that's almost like the end argument of Job is that like humans comprehension is so below God's like you can't question suffering in life. That sort of mystical wisdom given from like basically a pimply rabbi on his like third ever consultation. It just comes across like super goofy, doesn't it? Yeah, (laughs) to say the least. And the guy is super goofy. So that goes together well. It's so, it's so funny, too, because like the whole time he's talking about, look at that parking lot. I'm like, this rabbi seems stoned as fuck. And then later on, when Larry's stoned, he's like, I get what the rabbi's saying now. I laugh so hard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Stevie, what about the second rabbi? And these rabbis, I might say, like the trio of rabbis, they're announced with like titles in the movie, like a complete stop down in like, black and white, the second rabbi. Is the second rabbi with the orthodontist story? Yes, the goy. Yeah, so to me, this is like Coen Brothers filmmaking at its finest mm-hmm. because it can take you out of one story and put you into another so quickly, just like the beginning of this movie. And you're kind of hinging on every word that this rabbi has to say about, you know, the <laughs> these teeth having a message and this orthodontist losing sleep over it. 
Did he ever tell you about the goy's teeth? No. I, what goy? So, Lee is at work one day. You know he has the orthodontic practice there at Great Bear. He's making a plaster mold. It's for corrective bridge work in the mouth of one of his patients, Russell Krauss. He notices something unusual. There appears to be something engraved on the inside of the patient's lower incisors. And, you know, he's going through all of his old files so he can find other messages, and he can't. And the story just ends. And we're sitting right with this perspective that Larry has when he's just screaming, but why? What, what does it all mean? And the rabbi just keeps saying, does it matter? Like, like, what do you, like, what do you want me to say? Like, I just found that to be fascinating. Helping people can't hurt. Can't hurt. Give it a shot. <laughs> we'll see. He's like, what happened to him? And he's like, well, he ended up figuring out how to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the goy? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Stevie, what do you think about, like, the casting of the goy and, like, his wife in that? Don't they just look so normal? Everyone in this movie looks kind of normal, don't they? There's no stars in it. Everyone. I mean, even, like, from the star of this movie, something that's, um, uh, what's his name, Michael Stahlberg? Yeah. Like, I've always considered him to be a character actor, not much of a leading man. Uh, but, yeah, everyone in this movie is pretty... I guess you could say plain Jane in a way. Like, no one really truly stands out from another person. I guess you could say, like, in the Midwest 60s, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it also adds to the look of this movie, so I thought it was cool. The uh, orthodontist part was by far my favorite part of the movie. Um, I don't know why. I think, like, the music and editing during that part was... It almost pushed the movie towards, like, oh, does this have, like, more of a like a supernatural or like sci-fi bend to the story that we're just like not now just picking up on or something and then it just cuts back to the rabbi like i don't know i don't know what's <laughs> what that meant with the teeth <laughs> so like just don't think about it so i think that's like how they that brand of comedy that the coens are so good at is just like it's like so subtle and there's like not really a joke there but it's just like the tone shift of like the rabbi just being like just live your life or don't <laughs> yeah. think about it too much at the end it's like you want me to tell right. a story you don't want me to tell a story oh like <laughs> yeah the anticlimacticness of the whole conversation is the joke i yeah. guess right what happened to sussman what would happen not much he went back to work for a while he checked every patient's teeth for new messages he didn't find any. In time, he found he stopped checking. He returned to life. These questions that are, that are bothering you, Larry, maybe they're like a toothache. And what happened to the goy? The goy? Who cares? Because I, I was like paying so hard attention to like, oh shit, what is it? Where's this movie going? Like the the messages on the teeth, like, and his brother yeah, like is going like, to turn into the movie pie or something. Yeah, <laughs> and his brother is like writing, scribbling all this crazy shit in this notebook. Like, am I missing something? Was this supposed to go a different direction? And I'm just like not picking it up. But the man tactic just comes back. I was like, really hoping he was going to open up a portal at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you caught that connection too between like the sci-fi stuff and the brother pappy tell us everything we need to know about 
Larry's brother. Yeah, played by Richard Kind. I don't know if we have any good Richard Kind impersonators on the podcast. I know there was a call for that earlier. Stevie, can you do a good Richard Kind? I can't do a good Richard Kind. All right, well, either way, Uncle Arthur, he's... I. He's definitely, you know, someone that Larry, uh, his older brother, Michael Stelbrook, needs to take care of. He's got a lot a lot going on, um, you know, probably in t- with today's medicine. They might say that you might be on, this, on the spectrum somewhat. There's clearly, you know, a good, uh, how do I, there's still a, cr- a strong mathematical, uh, knowledge in their genes, right? They, they both, Michael, you know, Michael's a physics professor, and his brother Richard is like very good at like gambling, apparently, and, and counting cards or, or something to that effect. Um, he's got the cyst, which is <laughs> kind of disturbing. I don't know really anything about cysts, but he's is he draining it? Is yeah. that what he's? Is that what you do? Um, I don't know. He's definitely kind of a sad character. Oh, he's also gay. Right, uh, yeah. it's like the the bar that he goes to. Um, I don't know. Richard Kind's voice kind of annoys me, to be honest, a little bit in the part. But he's a really good character. What do you guys think about the addition of his the probability of life equation that he solved is like helping him with his gambling in an otherwise very realistic movie? Do you like this kind of uh, hail mary throw to like the supernatural? Personally, I liked it. I uh, was so confused as to where what the genre of this movie was because there is like some there is like comedy in it, but it's also like undertone of like almost a sci-fi or something with this book and like I said the the orthodontist thing or whatever. It's just like what is going on here, but it ends up being nothing in the end. Or well, I actually, I don't even know because um, yeah. things seem to change after Larry gives changes that f to a c where it's like he almost changes his fate in that moment because he gets that call from the doctor in the end uh, which is obviously not good i like anything with sci-fi so i was just like where is this story going like the whole time for me well they set up a potentially supernatural event in the very beginning with the the uh Mm -hmm. the yiddish speaking old-timey jewish couple and the potential dybbuk which is like a demon or like an evil kind of ghost. Um, we didn't talk about the very beginning part yet, but um, they see someone that they suspect is not an actual person, but is rather a Dybbuk. And uh, we never really find out if that person was or not. <laughs> of course, no questions are answered. I saw a thing. The only clue that I've been able to garner from the Coen brothers themselves is that they wanted to make it clear that they were telling a like classic Jewish story and it wasn't something they wanted to like parse out throughout the film in the Midwest. They wanted you to like, despite the flat setting, know that this was a Jewish story. And I know we kind of had a Stevie question earlier, but I guess mine would be like to you, Stevie as a viewer. And I don't know how many times you've seen this movie now. Like how does this actually fit that beginning scene? How does that even fit into the larger narrative here? Honestly, I really don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. I love movies that don't start directly with the main characters, um, especially for a while. And I felt like that opening scene was, I mean, it's almost kind of, 
it just kind of throws you off really if kind of i mean you're kind of wondering like a minute in like what are we doing here and we jump yes. from there from like to like michael stolberg i for some odd reason like it doesn't fit like amazing for me maybe there's like something i'm missing but like it almost like just like makes sense for me for that to even be in there i just love that beginning intro so much because i was actually really invested in it even though it only lasted between like five and ten minutes apparently they say it has no relation to the rest of the film but like I think Roger Ebert has opined um, that it could easily be because uh, Larry's ancestor invited a Dybbuk into this house that he's cursed. So, Yeah, that's what I was going to ask if that was a family member. Like, Cohen's just seemed to want to have fun with that beginning scene. Like, they even said something like it was kind of just like a little mini short film that they made to have fun. It could be like a short film by itself. Yeah. Like, but for some odd reason, it, like, makes sense in the context of the movie that I can't even explain. I think they like read this author Isaac Singer a lot to figure out how to like write a Yiddish stor- short story that like fits in culturally because there wasn't one that existed that they liked. And I love Ebert's theory about it being like a curse on the family. Mm. But something that struck me today is that almost like as a viewer, because you're set up with that beginning scene and constantly wondering its meaning. It puts you in an uneasy place and point of view, kind of like Larry is throughout the film where he's like constantly questioning what is happening and looking for an answer. So mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any credence to that whatsoever, but it's almost like a little meta head game that the Coen brothers, master of craft, are able to play. Mm-hmm. To me, it makes more sense as if that's like a distant relative and they had cursed the family really? at that point. I'm like the exact opposite. I think th- I would... I don't really like the distant relative theory at all. I think it's like more interesting if it's just like thematically coherent with the rest of the story. Like, hey, you're not going to figure this out just like everything else in the movie. I think it should have ended with Larry saying that he's Larry Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) Palpatine. Even though he's clearly a Palpatine. (laughs) To kind of close out the film here, Brett, um, Tell us about the third rabbi. He's, I think he's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, just as a side note to Corey, I was, I saw the receptionist and I was like, man, she looks familiar. She's the principal in Mighty Ducks with like the, oh, you know. so she's also Mighty Ducks 3. I don't remember her in that though, but uh, he's just really old and he's kind of like semi retired, but mostly retired. He kind of just congratulates the, um, bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah people uh you see that in the, in the movie you think he's just gonna be some grumpy old man but he kind of has like one of the cooler parts of the movie when the kid comes in and he gives him his uh radio back and he quotes jefferson airplane and he gives him the money back so he actually it seemed to me like he might have actually helped larry if he would have given him some time but he didn't for some reason so he's just old and he was busy thinking yeah He's busy. That's like the, one of the only times where he's actually pushing. He's like, he doesn't look busy. Like, he actually almost kind of stands up for himself. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. But still saying it, like, not loud enough that the rabbi himself could hear it. <laughs> Stevie, did you think those were some of the best shots in the movie with, like, the rabbi kind of blurry in the background, just sitting there doing nothing, like, immaculate looking? <laughs> oh, 100%. I like the way this movie was framed because I felt like Larry was about to explode for like an hour and 40 minutes. He was just like bubbling the entire time. And that was actually 
My wife called it anxiety inducing, but I thought it was really fun to watch. And I think like <laughs> when he goes to meet with the rabbi, he's like, he's just exhausted. Like he needs this. And when he gets denied, it's just so fitting of the movie for Larry to constantly just be getting dumped on. And when he needs like something the most, he doesn't get it anyway. So I guess like, am I right, Joe? Um, am I right, Josh? Like that's like pretty much like the direct tie into Job. What, that he doesn't get what he wants? Yes. <laughs> I don't know, because at the very end of Job, he gets like everything times two, like one up. Big ups for Job. Big up. Big up. You know, Job itself ends with Job restoring, and even though his original sons and daughters died, and that's still terrible, he gets new son and daughters. So that's good. Upgrade. Um, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> Is that the way it works, Josh? This movie doesn't take it all the way to fruition where it's like a good ending. Tell tell us just like in real rapid fire, like what happens in the last like three minutes of this movie to Larry. Uh, well, we're led to believe that uh, Larry is going to make his tenure. Um, it's been kind of a question that's been going on throughout. Uh, the grade, his so Clive's grade. Um, that's also been an ongoing question. He does eventually change the grade from an F to a C. Minus. minus. <laughs> he had to throw in that minus. <laughs> Which was a very nice touch, by the way. Uh, but as soon as he does that, he gets a phone call. Uh, we don't know exactly what the doctor that's on the phone is going to say, but we have an idea that it's bad news because he has to go into the office. Uh, I think we're all probably on the same page. The doctor is going to say, you have cancer or some kind yeah, of bad yeah. illness, right? Cancer. And uh, the kid who finally got his Walkman... And twenty dollar bill within it back. He's trying to give it to Fogel or whoever, and uh, a tornado's a coming. It's pretty close too. I think that's the last thing we see in the movie. I think the kids are gonna die. So, so if you follow the trajectory of Job, this movie ends, and then like fast forward ten years into the future, Larry has a new wife and like an infant son, teaching at a new school. Like he's at Notre Dame now instead of. Whatever shitty Minneapolis school he's at. St. <laughs> Cloud State. None of that's in the movie, though. That's all. No, that's not in the movie at all. I heard one interpretation that, that what happens is that Larry is being punished. Because he, like, he says earlier in the movie, like, actions in these, uh, this office have moral consequences. And he, he uh, changes the grade, takes the bribe. And that his son is being punished, too, because the rabbi says, be a good boy. And he goes back to listening to music. Do you think there's any credence to that? interpretation that makes sense that makes sense to me i don't buy that and and i don't buy what mikey was saying earlier that like him changing the grade gave him like cancer either and i don't think that his like accident he had at the same time as Cy meant anything either that's just where i'm coming from as a viewer like nihilism yeah i don't know i don't think the coen brothers are very religious either i don't think it has anything to do with religion i think it has something to do with sci-fi Aliens meme. Well, is God just the master coder? He's a he's a phys, he's a physics teacher. I think that's like kind of like the underlying theme is like this is all related to like physics in some way. He's like I don't know. He's messing with something. He just doesn't even know it. And the crazy shit his brother is writing in the notebook or something is almost like a clue or something to maybe. I don't even know. Like I, I, the tone of the movie is just so weird that uh, it just seems odd to me that it wouldn't be about um, science fiction in some way. Well, you guys heard it here. Mikey just said the Bible is science fiction, so send your hate mail to him. 
<laughs> we didn't we we didn't say that. <laughs> well, the Bible is all fake, so <laughs> yeah, go ahead <laughs> and send your hate mail to me. <laughs> no, it's real. I've seen it. You said that the I don't know the Coen Brothers aren't very religious. Like the one, I think it was like fucking Renegade Cut or something. He his video was saying. I don't know. It was definitely like this like motivated reasoning, right? Like this renegade cut guy was definitely like this big atheist. And he was like reading into this whole movie as like this super harsh critique on religion. And then like literally like the next YouTube video was like a priest. And like his interpretation was it was super positive of religion and like retelling of the story of Job. So I, I feel like that's Father Robert Barron. Is that the one? I prob- probably yeah. I didn't watch all the way. That's a lot of views. Yeah, because it was literally like, it was like Renegade cut thirty four thousand views, and this was like the next one that was like suggested on my like my playlist. So I watched a little bit of it, but it's like I think that's just like the motivated reasoning of the audience, right? Like you kind of the film is so ambiguous, people are gonna print themselves onto it yeah. in, in, in their interpretations in a lot of ways. It's like uh, Scrody McBooger balls, like South Park. Everyone everyone reads mm-hmm. it. And they like think they're seeing. Actually, it's the the one that Butters writes, the poop that ate the pee. The poop that took a pee. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's the most liberal thing I've ever read. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? It's a conservative. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> people will see what they want to see. It's interesting, though, in the movie, as they go back and forth with all the theology, like maybe it's because your perspective in the parking lot, or maybe it's because you should just like stop looking at things for meaning, or maybe you should just spend more time thinking. <laughs> And being busy thinking, whatever it's saying, like everyone seems to have this undercurrent that like God does exist. No one ever questions like, what's the Jewish word for God that they keep using in this movie, Corey? Hair? Uh, oh, Hashem. Hashem. Yeah. Hashem. What does Hashem want? What does Hashem think? Like no one asks, maybe Hashem isn't real. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Like everyone, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's understood in that community for sure. Obviously there's communities like that everywhere, but um, like probably a lot in South America, like the one we saw in Stigmata, but yeah, it's like, it's never a question of whether God exists or not. It's like, why is God doing this? Not, is God real? So I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting too, because Larry, our main character, he's never, he's not the one who wants to go see the rabbi. He's a physics professor. His whole, understanding of the universe is based in mathematics which he keeps coming back to that we can there's a proof for this there's a proof that we can never know anything and it kind of also then ties back to the opening story too where the man was like the 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 husband was like super rational and didn't believe in the debuk and the wife did and like was kind of pushing him more towards i don't know more towards spirituality and like Again, I have no fucking idea what any of this like means or what the Coens are exactly trying to say, but like it's so thematically consistent and interesting. That's like the best part of a serious man to me is like the questions that we're we've been asking this podcast. Let's do final thoughts, guys. Just whatever you got, please throw it out there. I usually don't like dream sequences, but I thought it was actually, this seems like something Stevie would laugh at as well. I thought it was absolutely hilarious when the brother's on the boat. He's like, goodbye. He got Lenny. He, got, he goes, goodbye. And then the bullet comes through and blows his brains out. I don't know why I thought that was so funny. I gasped, hard gasp when I saw that. Oh, me too. I thought it was actually hilarious. <laughs> like, oh crap, it's wild gay. It's uh, like the government agency where, uh, yeah, but I don't know why I thought that was funny. Like, <laughs> it definitely caught me off guard, but I was like, oh man, that's awesome. And he's like, there's another G right there. But yeah, it's really 
funny. That's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> On a multiple rewatch here, Brett, one thing that's cool is like I feel like the Coen brothers give small clues and then bigger clues that it is a dream. And the uh. first, I think the smallest clue is... <laughs> That he's just sending him off on a canoe with his cyst <laughs> and yeah. like without his cyst dra- draining machine. Like, to, what's he gonna do out there? Yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't think about that. It's funny. Anything else, guys? This is really small part. I just find little tiny jokes in movies so much funnier than like big sweeping jokes. But there's this, I don't even know if it's a joke, but it just grounded me so much in reality in this movie. After the bar mitzvah reading and everything and everybody's celebrating, there's this dude that picks up the Torah and he looks (laughs) like he's about to drop it. (laughs) (laughs) And he just goes, Jesus Christ! Which which is ironic. That's so funny for sure. I laughed so hard at that joke. I thought it was so smart. It just, it it almost made the entire movie for me. I was like, God, that is so funny. (laughs) Right before that, when he's stoned as shit doing the Torah reading and he's looking out to like all of the characters that we've seen throughout the movie, and it cuts to like his friend who's also stoned as fuck in like the suit. Like. I lost it at that. Uh, that whole scene oh, is amazing yeah. too because when he's like looking close up at the Torah and the <laughs> rabbi like moves it down and it's like what do you? I don't know what the things called that they use to point on the Torah, but it sounds like a sword being unsheathed. Like when he hands it to him, like exactly. The Coens are brilliant at getting every ounce out of a certain joke or even just a certain bit. And I thought Richard Kind screaming in a minute, like through various scenes, like him screaming from the bathroom went a long time. I thought that was really funny too. The conversation with Mr. Park is- Culture clash. It's going back and forth. He's trying to understand like what he's going to get. That's pretty funny. (laughs) So you did leave the money. Defamation. The final thing that he says too is accept the mystery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the circular nature of this conversation. Just super ominous. And it's almost like they're trying to tell us, the audience. Yes. Please accept mystery. <laughs> like like in Tenet, don't try to understand it. <laughs> Feel it. Alright, let's head into yes or no's. We'll go east to east, except I will go first. I love how we kind of hit on my favorite parts at the end there when we had final thoughts, but we were able to go through the plot and like the big picture of this movie without touching on like a lot of the little things that really brings this movie to life. And so two of those for me really quick are that scene where Danny is all stoned reading the Torah and like there's this just beautiful silence where you're like, oh my gosh, is he so stoned? He's not going to be able to pull this off. And then his 13 year old squeaky voice just starts blasting like out of nowhere like apparently the right words too so it's like a big triumphant moment that's kind of cool for Danny love that Lord,
And then there's a point where Clive, Larry's student. I received unsatisfactory grade. In fact, F, the failing grade. If I receive the failing grade, I lose my scholarship. And I feel shame. We had, I think, a good talk the other day. But you left something. I didn't leave it. Well, you don't even know what I was going to say. I didn't leave anything. I'm not missing anything. I know where everything is. Well, then, Clive, where did this come from? This is here, isn't it? Yes, sir. That is there. This is not nothing. This is something. Yes, that is something. What is it? You know what it is, I believe. And you know I can't keep it, Clive? Yes, sir. I'll have to pass it on to Professor Finkel, along with my suspicions about where it came from. Actions have consequences. Yes, often. No, always. Actions always have consequences. In this office, actions have consequences. Yes, sir. Not just physics, morally. Yes. And we both know about your actions. No, sir. I know about my actions. I can interpret, Clive. I know what you meant me to understand. Yes, sir, my sir. Mir, sir, my sir? Mir, sir, my sir, sir. Very uncertain. He kind of talks circular, too. But he says, me, sir, my sir. <laughs> <laughs> and he's kind of saying, mere surmise, sir. But it's just so funny how just basic dialogue delivered in a Coen Brothers movie can be so entertaining and fun to watch. One last deep thought before I give this movie a yes is that I think there might be a connection between and like maybe a little bit of an answer in this movie that if Larry had just responded to his troubles by like concentrating on his family and his children instead of constantly wondering why I think he could have had a, like a lot better outcomes and like specifically with his son like his bar mitzvah was coming up and he that was just not on his priority list despite how Jewish he wanted to live and be like mm-hmm. that should have been a wake-up call that wow my son is like the person who should be trying to be a man right now not me like mm-hmm. a serious man i don't know oh whatever see what you did there yeah anyway uh <laughs> let's move east to west brett you're up so that was a solid yes yeah so sol- a solid vigo yes yeah, this I would when I came in this I told Brittany that I was gonna be a yes. I wasn't sure what kind of yes because I usually like my movies to be happier or happy at all. And there was very little to be happy about in this movie, but that's kind of a Cohen thing, I guess. I thought it was gonna end kinda happily and then they dropped the probable lung cancer and probable kids all get killed by the tornado on me. But but I didn't think of the Job thing at all when I was watching it, and that actually makes me like it a lot more. I thought the guy, uh the main character, the actor, I thought he, that was like one of the best performances I've seen in a long time. He like was awesome, unbelievable in that role. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I moved it up to a solid yes. I'll give it a solid yes. I like that. Did I talk about Job too much tonight, Brett? No, 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 no. I loved it. All right. Let's go over to Mikey. Thanks, Brett. Yep. Uh, I believe it's pronounced gob. Gob. Uh, <laughs> guys. 
$5,000 suit. Um, <laughs> I will give it a serious yes. Uh, I like this movie a lot. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I was really concerned in like the opening five minutes. Like, oh boy, I'm not going to... <laughs> not gonna like if this thing whole thing is like a period piece like whatever country they're in and a, a village of uh okay the the whole dialogue in the beginning is so confusing to me because they're using a lot of jewish words that i have no context for so i was like oh boy what is this movie gonna be but it ended up not being that at all so um yeah and it was a lot funnier than i was expecting i love like the ambiguity of it uh in the end it is not a happy ending uh which I think kind of like takes a 180 from where we were uh, supposed to believe this movie was going, um, which I also kind of like. Um, so I'll give it a, a serious yes. I don't think I would ever watch this movie if Josh hadn't chosen chosen it. Uh, I don't think I've ever even heard of it before you chose it, Josh. So uh, thanks for putting that on my radar. But it's a serious yes. A serious yes. Thanks, Mikey. Stevie. Uh, I'll keep this pretty short and sweet. I think it's because of all that Job talk. I just want to give it a no. But, um, yeah, I'll give this movie a hard yes. Uh, one thing that I like that the Coen brothers do in a lot of their movies is they take their viewers to places they don't want to go. And I felt like they stretched it out for 100 minutes in this movie. It was honestly just fascinating to watch, like... I think it's something a lot of people fear as they get older is everything around them starts to move a thousand miles an hour, a thousand mile an hour while they're standing still. And I think that's where Larry was. And it was a lot of fun to watch. I love the cinematography. I love the colors, the period piece of it. So yeah, I'll give this a, a hard yes. But a no for the Job talk. Yeah, I'm kind of over that, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Pappy. Uh, first of all, thank you for picking this, Josh. This has been on my watch list for a long time. I, there's only one or two Coens I haven't seen now at this point. Um, like I said earlier, everything in terms of like below, you know, quote unquote, below the line stuff, movie making stuff, this movie is absolutely fantastic. Perfect editing, perfect sound design, perfect soundtrack. Perfect production design, cinematography, Deacons, some of his best work. Maybe that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but some of his like really solid work, I would say. Um, yeah, I I can see how this movie would be really frustrating to people. I was surprised, you know, looking over Letterbox reviews, how many people just kind of like threw their hands up in the air and be like, "I can't understand this. It's so weird." Like to me, it's pretty thematically coherent and consistent, saying that you're not going to get the answers from the, the opening little Yiddish get to the ending that's a blatant, you know, weird cliffhanger on, on multiple story fronts. So I, I think that's really interesting, you know, in terms of like the Job stuff, it's, I think it's more of like, oh, brother, where art thou is to the Odyssey as this is to Job, like the Coen brothers, yeah. like master storytellers, they know how to look over all of, you know, the history of stories that have been handed down. Like even, I forget who says that to Larry at some point, like, you know, we have all of these stories that have been handed down from from previous generations that help us live our lives. The Coens know how to look across those stories and pull into to their stories. Like, I'll end by saying, I honestly think this is like a fantastic work of art. I think this is like a monumental film. Even watching it, I, I watched it twice in two days, which I usually do for spoilers. On the second watch, I'm usually kind of like more half watching, researching, taking notes. But I was more locked in 
the second time making connections, like picking up on themes, just seeing things. And, and honestly, you know, I'm not going to claim that I get it. I don't know if I know like precisely what their message is beyond, you know, we may not always get the answers, but man, this is such a great movie to watch. Extraordinarily hard. Yes. For a serious man. Glad you liked it. Let's keep moving. Weast. Corey. Yes, this is Corey. I'm really glad that you guys like this movie so much. I kind of fell right in the middle on this movie. It, it's really hard for me to give a yes or no when I'm right in the middle. And uh, I feel like I, I kind of changed my mind later. But where I'm at right now is uh, the softest of no's. The softest no I could probably give. And I think the reason for that is... Let's go! Is it ama- is rewatchability? I don't know if this is one I'd ever want to rewatch again. I don't think I enjoyed it in that way. Although I did, I was mildly entertained as I was going through the journey with this guy. But I, I don't want to ever go on that journey again. I don't think. Um, so I'm gonna keep it short. To me, it's just a soft no. It's it's decent, but I just didn't love it. Maybe I would at a later time, different place. Who's to say? In a different timeline. Corey's not a big comedy guy. I actually agree with almost everything you said, which is really funny. Like, I definitely don't want to ever watch this movie again. It, it wasn't, like, super enjoyable. I just thought all of the filmmaking stuff was, like, top-notch and the symbology. I'd probably be there tomorrow right there with you, so. In a different timeline, Josh chooses the mask and Corey says yes. <laughs> <laughs> or the cable guy, which I kept thinking of when that song would come on, that Jefferson song. I'm so happy I'm not the only one that thought about that. <laughs> Pappy, though, I do think you kind of nail what the theme is, with the exception that there's also a secondary theme, and that might be that the Coen brothers think they're better storytellers than God himself. Oof. Third theme, smoke weed every day. <laughs> they improved upon God's story here, but um, are you guys ready for trivia? Yeah. Yeah. Is it Bible related? Are you doing it? Oh, no. Is it Bible related? <gasps> I am so goddamn no. fucked if it's about the goddamn Bible. Bible study? Let's I do it. Science fiction. I'm so happy. I watch Veggie Tales all the time growing up. Oh, my God. Barbara Manatee? <laughs> you are not a good Catholic boy anymore, Stevie. Are you serious? I'm the best Catholic <laughs> no. boy. No, you're not. <laughs> okay. So, for my trivia tonight, guys, I got a pretty simple one. It's a closest two. Um, we talked about how there's no like really true answers in this movie. Actually, before I give you guys the question, Pappy, what's the order here? If we're going uh, most recent host to least, do you mind? I wasn't on. I wasn't me? on last week. Do I have to really do that? If I... <laughs> we well, love you, Pappy. I, I, I'd be going first, Josh. Okay, so Stevie's up first. Cocky. Let's see. Corey would be next. Corey did Snowman. Uh, before that was Brett. Predator and Pappy. Okay. And then Pappy with Witness. And then Mikey. With and then Mikey's Brother Jordan and then Money Mike. Wait, Money was the last Mikey movie you Yeah. How, how am I supposed to know? I failed at that Josh <laughs> trivia or whatever. The moist. Mm. Mikey, neither of us like trivia so very much. I'm glad trivia is like really short tonight. But here's the thing. The Coen brothers titled this movie a serious man after it was written um they kind of pulled it from the dialogue and a couple of the scenes and made it the title but the theme of this movie being that there's no true answers in life i thought it was interesting to maybe combine that with the title so uh, my question to you guys all native english speakers how many different definitions are there for the word man stevie 
you have hosted the most recently. You're up first. Definitions for the word man? Yes. Man. Man. This is according to uh, Merriam-Webster.com slash dictionary slash man. Not a big fan of the Merriam-Webster. I'll say... (laughs) Let's throw a niner in there. Let's throw nine. Corey. Uh... 15. Brit. Brit. I'll go with my uh, uh, 13. Um, 17. Mikey. Um, uh, Steve said nine. I'll say eight. Oh. Cut me deep. It's 473. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably going to be high now that I think about it. Josh's cis male count as do we, does that branch off? I know turn. Turn has the most definitions of any word. It's like. What about turnt? Turnt has the second most of any word, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And man has the third most. Let's see. Mm -hmm. According to Miriam Dash Webster. There are 12 definitions. (sighs) Brett, your guess of 13 was the closest. You guys basically surrounded the correct number. I'm really proud of the intellect of the group. But Brett, before you choose your movie that we'll cover next week, I'm going to kick it over to Spoiler Man to uh, do some plugs for us. Take it away, Spoiler Man. Spoiler Man here. Please consider going to patreon.com slash spoilers podcast. Special thank you to our patrons. Nick. The Coy. Who cares? Brother Brian. The rooms are eminently habitable. Matthias. Go to crash. Druid King. Mir, sir, my sir. Mir, sir, my sir. Sir. Hey, it's your pappy here to tell you about a brand new sponsor of Spoilers. Wild dot gallery. That's W Y L D dot G A L L E R Y. Now, Brett's been the one coordinating the sponsors on the podcast. And he sent me a message the other day. He said, Hey, I've got this Native American art gallery based out of Austin, Texas, who's interested in sponsoring spoilers. And I said, What? Why? And he sends over the URL, W Y L D dot gallery. And so I get on there just to see what the website's all about. And I end up spending an hour scrolling through their shop tab now it's a kind of an infinite scroll that you can go through and you'll see some amazing pieces of art i'm looking at it right now i see some psychedelic native american pieces of work there's some star wars stuff um a lot of western inspired themes family themes and the best part about it is you're not only you know getting yourself a cool piece of artwork you're also supporting native american artists real native american artists and you know 2020 was a really hard year for everybody. It was especially hard year for, for artists who depend on you know art shows and festivals and fairs to sell their art. So if you're interested in seeing some really cool Native American art, if you're interested in buying some amazing posters, prints, um, landscapes, you name it, you know, I went on there. I actually bought myself a poster for less than $30, and I, I dare you to get on wyld.gallery and not buy something. That's wild.gallery, and make sure you tell them that Spoiler sent you. Thanks again, you guys, for watching A Serious Man and talking about it with me. The last time I saw this was with my best friend, Drew Rockland, and we Uh, mm -hmm. all enjoyed it, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I'll always have good memories of this movie, but I'm ready to pass the torch. Brett, 
You want trivia. You get to choose a movie. Oh, man. See, I could go two routes here. I could either pick a movie that I've enjoyed with my best friend, Drew Rockland. Um, but no, I think I'm going to uh, kick it to Corey because we had a nice little trade a few <gasps> months ago. And I Whoa. Owed, I owed him a pick to be named later. And I have named this Corey's the, Yes. The, thank you, Brad. The Witness episode. You're welcome. Well, since Brett has ever so kindly passed this pick over to me, next time we do a movie pick, I'm going to go with a 2001 film. It's a musical. It's called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Mother of God. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I know that I'm familiar with the book. I... You heard it right. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I'm actually choosing a movie that I like quite a bit this time, as opposed to all my other picks, which were movies we just completely shit on. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to give it a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. Well, Pappy, I know that we haven't recorded a bunch ahead of time here, so is there anything coming down the pipe? Perfect question. Yeah, no idea what's coming down the pipe other than Hedwig and the Angry Inch at this point. I will say there are multiple ways you can support this podcast. If you can't afford it, if you have a little bit of discretionary income, it would really help if you could help us uh, with the cost of hosting and some of the software that we use. So if you go to patreon.com backslash podcast spoilers, like Spoilerman told you about, you too, like Druid King or Nick or Brother Brian can get your name at the end of the episode. So that's really cool. If you can't afford it, no worries. And, you know, honestly, if you just want to, like, donate for a month on Patreon and dip out, that's totally fine. We get it. Another way is would be to give us an iTunes review or even just check out our YouTube channel. We don't do uh, – we don't have as many bi- uh, subscribers as Big Dumb Movie on YouTube, so we can't monetize our stuff yet. So if you want to – even if you don't <laughs> listen on YouTube, if you just want to go to YouTube and subscribe to our feed, that would help us a lot. So multiple ways to help us out. You guys don't even record live, though. It's true. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> Sorry we don't put the whole movie up on YouTube so you can illegally watch it. <laughs> well, here's to all you listeners out there trying to find someone to love. We love you. Nice. That was spoilers. This is Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Waiting on Josh. Typical. Typical Josh. Schrodinger's Josh. He's both on the podcast and not on the podcast. Can we all just submit Army Hammer is like one of the most unlikable people in all of Hollywood? What's going on there? Can we disagree? Can we disagree on that? What's wrong? I don't know Army Hammer, so I can't make that assessment. He's a trust fund baby that ended Seems up being weird, tall. Though. He does seem <laughs> weird. He does seem very weird. Imagine being tall and a trust fund baby. What more could you want for? What more could you want in life? Like human flesh in my mouth. Exactly. <laughs> That's why he became a cannibal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an eyes wide shut type thing. Once you get super rich and powerful, you just get into weird, kinky shit. You ready to go? Brett, relax. I am relaxed. Super, super relaxed. I'm not trying to make anybody. I mean,. Can't you hear how getting... calm he is in his voice? Brett's going like, like the Richard Kind mode right now. <laughs>
The pod will start when Josh is ready. He's a serious man. That was spoilers.